Good evening, gentlemen. This haven is safe no more. Our service is still off limits to me. Under the circumstances, your privileges are reinstated immediately. What do you need? Guns. Lots of guns. to episode 180 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the excommunicado. This week we're going to be talking about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, on your No Time to Dilly Dally, Mr. Wick podcast. That's where we are. That's where we made it to. We have. And dilly dally shilly shally, frankly. That's all <laughs> that makes me think. Uh, hi. Hi. So we're going to talk about John Wick 3 today. Yes. We have, and this is, we really should have planned this better because we have done John Wick 1 and John Wick 2. And yes. earlier this year, well, a little while ago, we did The Matrix Revolutions, wrapping up. Uh, another Keanu Reeves trilogy. And in a few days, we've got Bill and Ted Face the Music coming out a few days from when this is being recorded. We really should have planned this way better, shouldn't we? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Apparently, we are back in our Keanu coverage. Yeah. But, but like, we could have actually done a whole thing of, oh, we're going to wrap up all the Keanu trilogies. We absolutely could have. Because I think we talked about that on the... Matrix 1. Like, Keanu has not done sequels, generally. Mm-hmm. Except John Wick, Neo, and Bill. No, not Bill. Yes. Ted. One of yes. them. Yes. Like, I'm having a quick scan through. There's nothing else that he's he's gone back to. So, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I always said I wouldn't believe there's going to be a Bill and Ted 3 until I'm sat in the cinema watching it. And it looks like I'm never going to be sat in a cinema watching that film. <laughs> so it ain't real. Oh, so they're not opening theaters over in the UK yet? Uh, cinemas are open. I'm not going to one. No. Right. No, okay. no, yeah, no. they're open here. AMC cinemas had 15 cent movie tickets trying to get people to Crikey. come in. Crikey. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not going. I believe it's also being released on demand. Yeah, like, well, exactly. Yeah. Digitally right away. So I will probably do that. Mulan would have tempted me because I'm really excited about Mulan. But But they're also doing that one digitally. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna pay thirty dollars pounds, whatever it's gonna be for it. That's yeah, really it's ridiculous for t- for the two of us to watch a film. I get it. If you're a family of four, going to the cinema and buying the snacks and car parking and time mm-hmm. out of your life and all that compared to thirty pounds, it's quite a good bargain. Right. But for but just for two people. We have no kids, but we would still go out and watch a kids movie, frankly. Um, oh, of course. Wonder Woman 84, that's the one that's going to test me. I saw that a trailer came out this week, and I have not watched it yet. Yeah, I mean, it's DC, so I'll always be there for it. But 
like the first trailer was so good. The first trailer, every time we saw it, we turned to each other like, we have to see that. It looks okay, so good. Yeah. So hmm. it does. It does. Um, but I will I will be able to wait. <laughs> there honestly, there there is no movie that I can think of that would make me go to the movies right now. Black Widow? No, okay. I still wouldn't go. Even okay. if, if Avengers Endgame came out right now, I still wouldn't go see it. Right. Like, we are hardcore into this quarantine in our Absolutely. house. Absolutely. Same. Like, wear your damn mask, people. Absolutely. Protect other people. <laughs> be a good citizen. Um, but oh, Wonder Woman's going to make me think about it. Speaking of DC, did you watch the new Batman trailer? I, did. That I watched yesterday? all of them. They, they, they had a day celebrating DC news. Of course, I watched it. I was sat there scrolling on, and, and they because they started at like five pm, six pm UK time, and then it okay. ran through the US day. So there were bits of it at the end that I had to pick up the next morning. Uh, but very excited. Yeah, like I, I will wait to see. It's it's a little bit Chris Nolan for my liking. It it is very Christmas, so yes. you know I'd, I'd like something a little bit different compared to the stuff they're talking about with Black Adam and the Flash, the new Suicide Squad stuff, the new Suicide Squad game, the new Gotham Knights game, which looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, there's some very cool stuff coming. Mm. I always forget that you like DC more than Marvel. Yeah, I'm so into it. So cool. Yeah. Now talking I... of going to the cinema. I have not seen any of the John Wick films at the cinema. Okay. Just missed the first one, although people did say it was good, but I don't I don't think I went anywhere. I can't remember going and seeing it. Um, and then the sequels always seemed to have stepped too far. Like, mm. I'm not sure the film needed a sequel. We were very cold. Well, I was very cold on the second one. Mm-hmm. I think you'd like... I really yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed the it second more. one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like it more than the first one, but I definitely enjoyed it more than you did. Mm. Um, I remember when the third one came out into theaters, it made me want to watch John Wick. I had never really been aware of John okay. Wick. And so I wanted to see it because of the trailers I had seen. Right. Um, and I remember it being immensely popular mm-hmm. when it came mm. out. Like, it broke some box office records or something. Yeah. Or maybe it just debuted number one that weekend. Yeah, highest know. rated R, all that kind of thing. A lot of people mm. saw it. Not us. So John Wick 3, th- and this is one of those unusual ones where neither of us had seen this film going into it. Mm-hmm. This is my first experience of it as well. So you chose not to watch it because you didn't like the second one? I, w- I wasn't so strong on the second one, and I knew we were going to come, because at that point I think we were talking about circling around to do this series. So I was like, well, okay. I'll save the third one for when we do it on the podcast because I'm not sure I'm going to want to watch it twice. Mm. I think this one, you and I have ended up in a similar place. I believe it, we have. Is the vibe I believe I'm, I'm more generous than you are, but I okay. believe neither of us are really excited about this movie. Yeah, what did you, any thoughts on it? Um, So it's 100% fan service. Okay. We were 35 minutes in before we got a semblance of a plot. (laughs) We looked. Like, we stopped the movie and looked to see how much time had passed before we started getting an actual story. Mm. And the story itself was so thin (laughs) and didn't hold up. Like, I had this whole thing in my head that I thought was going to happen in the last half of the movie, and I wish it had, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and instead you get John Wick chopping his own freaking finger off and giving up his wedding band <laughs> only to turn around and decide, oh, never mind, I was wrong. Yeah. Like, what? No, not a fan. I, I think it was way too much fighting, way too much forced humor, and not enough plot. It's mm. like they realized what the fans liked from one and two and were like, okay, we have to check all these boxes. Mm-hmm. And they wrote around the boxes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Figuring out a story first and then figuring out the best way to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. What If you say 35 minutes in, you're going to have to help me here, but what happens then to start the plot? Is that when he starts going to Angelica Houston? Um... No, the adjudicator. Okay. When the adjudicator so showed up. The adjudicator, I think this is this one that's worth commenting on straight away. Played by Aisha Kate Dillon, who is themselves non binary and uses they them pronouns. And I'm saying that up front. I'm really sorry if I slip. Fair enough. Because I think they are styled more as female in this film. Although yes. they have played non binary characters in other series. Mm hmm. Um, so it's going to be hard. It shouldn't be hard. Completely get that. It's going to be hard not to say she when I mean they. So I'm going to say that right now. Because the adjudicator is kind of cool. I like the idea of the adjudicator. Absolutely. They were a phenomenal actor because Mm -hmm. we were not meant to like that character. Mm. And every time I saw the adjudicator, I just wanted punch them in the face <laughs> so job well done yes they're better than ruby rose in the second one i definitely think much better much more engaging i think there is something in the addition of the adjudicator that detracts from the world in a very american way so i suspect i might get in trouble with what i'm about to talk to you about Okay, go for it. Okay, but let's try this. And part of this comes from a lot of the conversations at the moment about policing mm-hmm. and policing things. If you have a law, you need to have a service that makes sure people do not break it. So in this world, you have covenants about no business done on continental grounds and you pay one coin for one service or whatever the service is and there's various things that go on within that and it clearly you have a governing body the high table and you have the adjudicators who are separate from the all the groups and communities within this world who are there to maintain a balance maintain the thing so it suddenly gets into because we have these this code and this, these things that we do, we have to then have a thing that makes sure and everyone is kept in check. Whereas what I think they'd set up, what the, what I liked about certainly John Wick 1 was this sort of honour thing. No business done on continental, continental mm-hmm. grounds. And clearly people can break that. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's an almighty force stopping them doing it. And people can go after John Wick and there's consequences of their actions and so on and so forth yes. fine but the whole point of it was it was an honor system it was criminals with you know honor you know the right, moral exactly. the moral criminal thing all this sort of thing and so if it's broken they then enforce law in whatever thing they think it should be done yes 
because Ian McShane was the pinnacle of the thing. Right. And now they're saying, actually, no, mm-hmm. everyone is beholden to the adjudicators and the high table. And Ian McShane's view on the way to deal with what John Wick did in John Wick 2 is wrong and isn't to the letter of the law. So he's going to be punished for it. And Lawrence Fishburne is going to be punished for it. And other people are going to be punished for it. And it's just, oh, cool. So it's now got actual rights and regulations and rules and a book of laws that they have to follow Mm -hmm. rather than it just being an honor code. Right. Honestly, that's part of my problem with the movie too. Right. Okay. Um, Because I feel like it's clear that they never intended to have sequels. Mm. Like, I think John Wick 1 was intended to be a one and done, but it was so immensely popular. Mm -hmm. They made a second one. And so they had to start fleshing out the world a little bit more. Hmm. Then they made a third one. They have to flesh out the world a little bit more. And they just made it up. Yeah. Like, yeah. the high table was not referenced a single time in the first one. No. Right. Now, in the second one, I don't recall them calling it the high table, but that's kind of what that one was about, you know, because mm-hmm. the guy that he killed, who wanted his sister killed, was because she was going to join the high table. But we didn't actually know that because it no. didn't come across as that's the organization, right? Mm. That they rule the whole world. Um, and so I feel like they just had to, in an effort to continue expanding the world, they just started throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the elder in Morocco, in the desert oh. in Morocco, is the guy. Like, he's above the high table. Yeah, like they now what have a messiah figure. What does that make? Yeah, mm. it doesn't make sense. Um, none, none of that made sense to me. And the idea that, like, the Bowery and the Russian organization are not actually part of the high table, so they're not part of the continental mm-hmm. and that whole setting but they agree that their own organizations are serving the table. Like, the metaphor of the table is stupid, right? you got over the <laughs> table and under the table. Yeah, yeah. And and so you've got, like, the Bowery is serving under the table, but they're not actually part of the table. Uh, I was not sure on whether the Bowery was part of the community or not. Because there, there is an in- indication that it is, but at the same time it's always set up to be we're something separate, but it looks like it's separate from the elite assassins. Well, I think because in this one specifically, he says we will uphold what the high table has said. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. how he said mm-hmm. it, but basically mm-hmm. it was, we're going to acknowledge that we're not allowed to, we're not supposed to help John Wick and we won't do it. Like, okay. but it, it felt to me like it's a courtesy thing, mm-hmm. not, we're part of the high table, so this is our law. It was, okay. yeah, yeah. we're going to acknowledge it. We're not going to help him. I can say that. And it felt like the Angelica Houston Russian sect was similar mm. to me. I mean, Russian, I think it was actually Belarusian or Ukrainian. Oh. So, something. Uh, uh, but, you know, another Soviet, ex-Soviet state, effectively. Um, yeah, so that, I think, is... Like, I really like the adjudicator and bringing some of that down mm-hmm. and, like, what you've done before is causing you consequences. But it just feels like the same thing they did in the first and a bit in the second one 
but now it's on the people who were passing consequences. And yeah. it's almost the escalation they do in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Where you've got all these pirates fighting against the East India Trading Company and ghosts and zombies and so on. And then suddenly there's a high like table of pirates that suddenly Jack Sparrow oh. is one of and his dad is one of. <laughs> oh, okay. What? Right. <laughs> what? Why do we need that? We've got pirates and ships fighting each other. It's good enough. Like, <laughs> And there is something in this that I, I wish they had sort of worked more to the honor system or not mm-hmm. invented this. Now we because this actually sets up that you could have all these rules written down. It's not just this is a world you learn and you do and so on. And it's just in the same way I didn't, I got annoyed with how big the world became in the second one. Like suddenly you've got suicide girl secretaries yes. doing stuff. Now we've suddenly got a body who investigate problems in the world. Mm-hmm. Auditors. <laughs> yeah. For full disclosure, I had to look up what adjudicator meant. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, I've heard that word before, but I don't know what it means. And it's really reminiscent of other things that I've seen that do exactly this, that have, you know, the good side and the bad side, and then the Inquisition who sit in the middle and maintain the balance and maintain that everyone is doing the right thing and so on. And it, I feel like it works in a kind of mystical setting, but in what is supposed to be a really real world setting. Mm-hmm just feels like weird government police force (laughs) yeah right now it's a very weird thing to see on your screen and think about like yeah "Yeah, why are we doing this thing because let's hook around to what your idea was because we had exactly the same thought of what was coming okay i was gonna say let's talk about what would fix this yeah yeah there is the thing that they could have done that would have been very cool if you say you've got the high table and you say you've got these people being kicked out from their places in their organizations. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from there? Right. So like we're 35 minutes into the movie. So not even halfway, like we're uh. a quarter of the way through this movie, right? The adjudicator shows up. She goes to talk to Lawrence Fishburne and says he has seven days to give up his throne. She goes to talk to Ian McShane, tells him he has seven days to give up his spot at the continental. Mm-hmm. And we've got John Wick who's already on the run, right? That is the perfect setup. For these three men to right. team up to take down the freaking high table. Is yeah. that what they did? Absolutely not. Did any of this have anything to do with the plot of this movie? No, it did not. Are they trying to set up a fourth movie? Yes, they are. Absolutely. I'm a little bit irritated. Can you tell? That's that's the big <laughs> problem with this. At least, so, you know, if 35 minutes is when this film starts, 35 minutes is the epilogue of chapter two. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what they're doing here is setting up chapter four. Yes. So this does not exist as a film on its own. At no. all. Utterly. No. And I'm not sure chapter four will. It feels like it's a five film franchise at that stage. I don't think there's enough story for it to be a five film franchise. Like, well, there wasn't enough story grasping. for it to be three films. <laughs> No, actually, there wasn't. <laughs> like, I think one of my thoughts was I need more movie in my movie. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, because it was just out of the gate. It was nonstop fighty, fighty, kick, kick. Yeah. Violent, heavily violent fighty, fighty, kick, kick. That stuff with the book and then the stuff with the knives. 
the eyeball, the skull and the eyeball. Like the book, I was okay with. I was like, okay. wow, that's really cool. Like the Foley guy did really great with the audio. Like that was cool. <laughs> but then we got to him poking the eyeball out, and I mean the, the eyeball thing, like because it's one continuous shot, you can't see how they did it. Mm-mm. It's a really good effect, <laughs> but at the same time, he is slowly, slowly pushing a knife into a man's eye. <laughs> And face. Like, I don't need it that slow. I don't need it that close up. And I don't need to... I'm really sorry to people on the podcast who didn't even need to hear on a podcast. Um, (laughs) Because it's really grim. It is. Mm. It is. Is this this us? Is that actually the modern storytelling way of developing movies and franchise is that you tell it over a number of films and that you bring them out and people follow the story as they go? Is it that we're... We, me, are expecting to see a movie and have a story and a beginning and a middle and an end and a conclusion and we're happy. I don't think so because that that's not me. You know, I love, you know, we've talked about this in, in other franchises. I love staying in a world for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I love following characters, seeing what else is happening in their life, seeing what's happening around them. I am here for that. But it has to be done well and in an interesting way. And John Wick 3 wasn't. John Wick 3 could have been distilled down to about 30 minutes with as much plot as we got as far as advancing the story of John Wick's life. And whole sequences could have been cut. Yes. Him going to Casablanca and having this thing in the desert and so on certainly so far hasn't come to anything. So maybe it's going to come to something in a future film, but and it feels like there's a world. This is a world away from DC and Marvel having moments in their films that they're going to pay off in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, a moment with the Flash seeming to come back in time, and it, it them going, "Oh, that's actually going to be from a future film." It's just a thing that's going to pay off eventually. Right is way different from. Here is literally chapter three of a five chapter thing. And now you're going to wait two years for chapter four. And then it's going to be, you're eventually going to maybe get a conclusion. Yeah. I don't see that you watch this and go, oh, yeah, really happy with the John Wick trilogy. You know, really good with with where that was left off. Great. It's just about selling the next cinema ticket. I feel like they assassinated John's character a little bit in this one. Mm, Okay. I don't for one second believe that John Wick would have repledged fealty to the high table. Right. I don't. Okay. I think the idea that he wants to stay alive so that somebody can remember Helen and their love mm-hmm. is bullshit. Okay. <laughs> and for him to so easily go back to that. But then just as quickly, Winston talks him out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't make any sense. It's really strange, isn't it? It is really strange. Like, I was, like, so in the beginning, um, Joseph and I were talking while we were watching this, and he raised a really, really good question. Mm. He said, what is his motivation here? Why is he fighting so hard for his life? Like, what mm-hmm. is his will to live? Like, where is this coming from? Why doesn't he just give up? He doesn't have anything, right? And so we weren't really 
told what his motivation is. Like we know in the first one, it was revenge over revenge. Yep. the puppy, the, yep. the car, and and the puppy. And the second one was, you know, he had to call in the marker, and then the revenge again. Like so, he's always been driven by this need for revenge. Mm. This movie did not have that. This movie is John Wick running for his life. Yeah. Why? Mm. Why? You know. And so then they finally ask that question, which I thought was really well done. I was like, oh, that's interesting. They did make us question it, and then they actually ask him the question when he gets to the elder. Mm-hmm. But the answer. <laughs> And then what he does with that answer doesn't make sense. Because the answer is because I want my wife, who I love, to be remembered. Mm. And if I die, no one will remember her. What does this look on your face right now? I I can just about buy that. But I think part of the I think part of the point you're making is it comes so late into the film mm-hmm. that that we're finally given something and, and to be honest whether you buy it or not that's the answer they're giving us right um, but then they pair it with him having to take his finger off and it's the one with the wedding band because he's still mm-hmm. wearing his wedding band and he has to give his wedding band over to the high table mm. right and. John Wick from the first movie would never have done that. Right. Ever. And so for him to go through all of that and then to end up back at the Continental willing to kill Winston until Winston talks him out of it. Like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sort of thing that it feels like will be answered in a future film. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, and the other thing I'd completely forgotten, I was thinking about this uh, in the same way you were whilst watching. The thing they don't do is the thing the good, complex movies do. They don't give us an audience surrogate. There's no one in this film who gets things explained to them. Right. So it'd be really good if at some point he went to someone else who got out. Someone else no who one was else ex- had ever gotten out. Well, someone else who was excommunicado and... Mm you know got back in maybe let's say and he goes to him and 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 they have a discussion where he gets to lay out what he's thinking i mean he goes to halle berry and there is an opportunity there for him to explain what he's thinking or explain the thing but there's no point at which they can give us that exposition of here is how the world works here is how why i'm doing what i'm doing it's it's a very thriller sort of thing the thriller genre often does this it doesn't actually tell you what's going on until really late into the piece um, we have no would... idea that he wants to make amends and live until he gets to Barada, I think, with Halle Berry. Mm. And he kneels and says that he wants to make amends. He wants to save his own life, basically. Yeah. With, like, that's um... the first time that we know what his motivation is for mm. running and trying to get to where he's going. And And I think over and above all of it, it is the stay alive until the next moment and the next moment. That like that's his fighting style. Do what it takes to be the one who's alive in the next minute. Doesn't matter what you have to do. Kick right. them in the nuts. Stab oh them in my the God, face. So many times in this movie. Hit them over the face with a book. You know, whatever you need to do, stay alive. So that's all he's doing. If he needs to swear fealty to the messianic figure of the high table, the one, whatever he was called. What was he called? The elder. 
the elder, thank you, um, do that thing. And then right. if he needs to not kill Winston so that maybe he can continue living the life he wants to live, do that thing. But even by the end, you know, if I'm saying that thrillers do this and then finally at the end you, you uncover what the plot is and you sort of start figuring out how all the pieces fit together and who was lying and who was telling the truth, you don't get that here. No. And I don't think you get that because we'll get it in chapter four. We will find yes. out, did Winston shoot him in the end? knowing he'd survived the fall did winston shoot him because he is betraying him did right you know how does any of it fit together yeah and it's it so does. frustrating to be at the end and be like oh, i don't care <laughs> <laughs> okay so did you have any moments that that you did enjoy in this movie let's talk our supporting cast All you right. mentioned bravado we got jerome flynn Mm-hmm. from Soldier Soldier over here. He recorded Game a few songs with someone else he was in, and he was in Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's, I only know him from Game of Thrones. But he's he's very famous over here, an old show called Soldier Soldier. Okay. Uh, let's give you a quick description. Uh, it features the daily lives of a group of soldiers in B Company, the King's Fusiliers, a fict- fictional British inf- Army Infantry Regiment loosely based on the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers. Okay. It was just a long-running series, and him and one of the other chaps, when they left, started recording songs together. Interesting. So, him in another dodgy accent. Awesome. We've got Angela Houston being Angela Houston. Yes. She's cool. We've got Halle Berry, who's really good. Who I always like Halle Berry. Yes. I don't think her character was necessary, but it did give one of my favorite lines, so... Okay. Cool. Um, Jason Manzukis as random Bowery man. Mm-hmm. Derek. Derek. Um, <laughs> he's from the How Did This Get Made podcast. He's in The Good Place. He's mm-hmm. in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's in anything you can imagine. I uh, don't yeah. know how Jason Manzukis keeps getting cast. Because he does <laughs> one... No, that's how he gets cast. He does one thing. He does slightly crazy and manic. Yes. Ad infinitum. Yes, he does. Parks and Rec, of course, he was in as well. Um, mm. But then we have Zero, played by Mark DeCascos. The Dacca. chairman. So. Allez, <laughs> cuisine! Because we have more than just American <laughs> listeners, he's very famous for being the chairman on the Iron Chef America show. Yes. Yes, he is. Because he's from Honolulu, so he's so foreign and mysterious and international. (laughs) Dude, it took me so long to understand that he was playing a character and he wasn't actually the nephew of the original chairman of the original Iron Chef. (laughs) Years. Like, I watched Iron Chef for years. Oh, really? Okay. Thinking that he was a real person, not Mm -hmm. a character. (laughs) But we, now, every time I see him, I'm like, oh my god, it's the chairman, and I can't help it. We don't have it over here. It's never been imported. The, the, the main thing I know it from is the Futurama episode, 40% Iron Chef. Okay. Have you seen Iron Chef at all? The Japanese? The yes, no. the Japanese Iron Chef. No. Or like, maybe, maybe, you know, in references or something, but... It, like Catherine lived in Japan, it stopped just before she got there. So oh, okay. I think it's never really entered our sphere of consciousness. Got it. Except for references and things like Futurama. 
No, I I used to like watch nothing but the Food Network. Okay. For some reason, like that's all I watched. Um, and before Iron Chef America was made, they would show old reruns of Iron Chef. Right. And so I watched the Japanese, the dubbed version, of course. Um, and then they made Iron Chef America, and I loved it. Cool. I still love it. Now, even though I know he's just an actor. Nice. Um, I'm really sorry the character's not going to be in it anymore. Because he's really good. I am torn about his character. Okay. The performance was fantastic. Let me just put that up front. Mm -hmm. But the fanboy aspect of his character toward, okay. towards John Wick kind of turned me off a little bit. And I think when when I realized they were doing that, mm. because they didn't do that in the first two. Like, we knew he had a reputation. We knew that people were aware of who he was, wanted to meet him, wanted to see who this John Wick mm. was, right? That's different than what we got here. And okay. it wasn't just Zero. Mm -hmm. It was Zero's students. Yep. Like, tripping all over themselves to meet him and, like, stopping the fight to help him up before they start trying to kill him again. Mm -hmm. And it it just, it didn't work for me. Okay. I really like that. I okay. like that whole thing. I, I, I wish we had had even more of it as a, like... Oh. I've trained, I've tried to become the best that I can with all these tools and all this fighting and all this, and people always tell me, John Wick's the best. Mm -hmm. And I've always been in your shadow and all this sort of thing, and I love seeing you work, and you're so good. Let's see what happens when we throw down. Yeah. Like, I yeah. really like it. I, I, I'm here for it, because it would be so easy for him to have been boring other assassin coming to hunt him. It would have been the easiest thing in the world, and we wouldn't even have noticed. But for it to be a character who's actually somewhat memorable and doing something that's like, you know, excited to see him do it and sending his students and saying, you know, treat him with respect. He's John Wick. He's great. And, and because they do that thing to him, John Wick treats them with respect. Again, it's the honor code thing that works really yes. well for me. Like, this yeah. is really good. And then the fights themselves are really good. Although yeah. fairly brutal at times. but And very long. Yes. There was a lot of kicking and punching. That we is... lost count at, of all of the uh, groin shots. Yeah, he did. Between he... John Wick and the dogs. Yes. <laughs> like, it was so bad. So bad. Um, um, I did like Zero's final, the final scene between Zero and John Wick. Yeah. Um, when he's like, don't worry about me, John. I'll catch up to you. And John yeah. Wick stops. I expected him to turn around and say, be seeing you. But he's just said, no, you won't. Right. And then he walked out. Like, that That was good. Yeah, it's really good. I'm so here for it. Um, thinking on the kicking and punching and the amount of violence there was in this, I think some of it is an homage to other films. Okay. Have you ever seen Enter the Dragon? No. Okay. One of the Bruce Lee's most famous films. I think it might even be his last film. Okay. The end sequence of it is him trying to track down the bad guy in a hall of mirrors. And mm. not knowing which is the real one, which is not the real one. And he ends up smashing the mirrors to like be able to see who's real and who's not right. and all this sort of thing. I really do feel like a lot of that fight was an homage to that. 
Okay. And, and it, it was done really nicely that it wasn't, oh, we're doing that fight because we love it so much. Mm-hmm. It's just a, we're channeling the vibe of it, in, in but mm. in our ultra-modern, kicky-punchy movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All I knew was that was Chekhov's glass room. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't film a scene <laughs> in a glass room unless you're going to smash mm-hmm. it up later. Because the room itself didn't make any sense. Like, I don't much, understand it? it. It was the administrative lounge, but mm. it was a room full of crystal skulls and glass pieces. Yeah, lots of samurai armor when they'd never really referenced Japanese culture before, but fine, yeah. fine, fine, fine. Yeah, this this is a series of films about American muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's guns and it's dogs and it's muscle cars. You know, it's yeah. not about samurai swords, but fine. Right. And I, but I like the vibe of it. Of you know, this is when we want to be able to see who's holding a gun and who's not. Mm-hmm. That you can't sit there with a gun trained on someone under the table, right? Things like that. That was quite nice. Um, yeah. mm. But yes, how about you? Any favorites? Anything you want to call out and, and rave about? Um, the line from Halle Berry mm. when um, mm-hmm. after they've basically taken out all of Barada's men and stuff and she shoots him and John Wick looks at her and she's like he shot my dog and he said I get it <laughs> I mean come on yeah <laughs> completely there for that that was yeah. a yeah that, I really like that line mm-hmm. um, and then so when they were in the Continental right after the Continental was deconsecrated Mm-hmm. And Winston retreated to his armory slash panic room, and yeah, yeah, Sharon yeah. and John Wick go out to fight everybody. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like John comes back first, and then the door opens again, and Sharon walks in. The look on John's face mm-hmm. that he survived. How did he survive? I barely <laughs> survived. Right, was amazing. I okay, loved it. I don't think I I picked up on it. And I loved the. Like, we just get subtle hints at how capable he is Mm. because he's the concierge. He's Mm -hmm. proper, right? But he he can hold his own. He held his own against all those people. Like, the people who worked for him didn't, but he did. Yeah, it was good. And he's the one who taught John Wick that, well, since you've been away, there have been some armor improvements and showed him, (laughs) you know, don't take the gun you like, take this other gun. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we just kind of get hints of it, and I'm lo- I am looking forward to seeing more of him, mm-hmm. which Agreed. I think we might mm. in the future. But yeah, so Lance Reddick as Jaron, Cowan, yeah. however you say, um, I think he made such an impact with only a couple of moments in the first film that you can see yes. why it's worth including him more and more. He's so good. Yes. Um, although. <laughs> The entire time, Joseph and I were making Destiny jokes. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, not only because of him, but because of some, I guess maybe because we were playing the PvP trials all weekend. Mm. Like, all, so many of John Wick's shots, um, and particularly once they got the armor-piercing rounds and the shotguns, Joseph and I were like, the only thing they're not doing from a crucible match is doing the sliding before they shoot. Like everything, <laughs> it was like shot. out of the crucible playbook. <laughs> and it, like, I'm pretty sure they had some like video game writers or video game fans. Oh yeah, this is so video gaming. This stuff. Mm. Um, because it felt very much like this was live action crucible. Yeah. 
Yeah, because a lot of the sequences, and, and in all three films, a lot of the sequences are just video gamey. Tunnels and tunnels and tunnels, shoot all the dudes down the tunnels, and then there's a boss at the end, and you have to shoot the boss three yeah. times and jump in the head. And then there were moments in this, things like the horse sequence, that was <laughs> almost like an Uncharted game, duck under here, press here <laughs> to make it kick, to move on yeah. to the next bit. Yeah, had that kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's true. That's when, it, really, for me. When they go down to the Panic Room Armory area, mm-hmm. Ian McShane turns to Keanu Reeves, and he says, is there anything you need? And Keanu Reeves goes, guns, lots of guns. Yes. Okay. Quoting one of his most famous lines from The Matrix. Oh. When when they're going back to save Morpheus, they drop into the loading screen and Tank comes on the things. He says, okay, what do you need? And he goes, guns. Lots of guns. And is that when you get the like whoosh of guns? Bang on. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I did not pick up on that. That's effectively my discussion then, because I swore at my screen when they do that. That's the equivalent of getting Arnold Schwarzenegger to say, I will be back in every single blooming film. At some point, it's like, oh, come on. But it's not every single film. It's, It's not, but that is his most famous line. And yet, and yet, this is the flip side. In The Matrix, there's the bit where Lawrence Fishburne, and again, part of the point is, it's Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves in a film together. Lawrence Fishburne jumps way over the street, and Keanu Reeves watches him jumping and goes, whoa. Quoting one of his most famous lines from previous films that he had said in a number of films. And that's a funny moment. (laughs) So why is that funny? And in this one, saying the line, guns, lots of guns, is just... Is it because it's so obvious that it's not even gracefully added into the thing. I I don't have an opinion because I didn't even catch it, so I don't okay. even know what. If I had real, realized it, I probably would have liked it because okay. it was a callback. Right. Because for me, all of the references to the dog in this one, like they shot Halle Berry's mm-hmm. dog. Mm-hmm. Angelica Houston was like, "Why are you doing this for a puppy?" <laughs> like I enjoyed those callbacks to the mm. first one, so. Okay. I'm more likely to enjoy it if I catch it, but I okay. just didn't. Okay. So I'm sorry. The dogs were very cool. I enjoyed the fight sequences with the dogs. I think they were very CG dogs. Oh, really? Mm. I didn't pick up on that at all. I just no? thought they were really well-trained dogs and hoped that those actors had a lot of padding on. You think you think the jo- dog jumping like 10 foot up a wall to bite a man? Oh, Pretty no, sure I think that's, that's absolutely real. possible. Oh, okay. I've seen videos of dogs doing that. Okay. Jumping that high to catch things. Okay. You don't look like you believe me. I'm I'm dubious on this film set, some of them. It, it's, it's one of those possible. things. Is it cheaper and easier to have a CG dog or a real dog do it? And at this stage in, in, in the world, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I would say even if that scene was CG, a lot of the dog scenes were not. Okay. Okay. Yeah, when he shot the dog, I did have a moment of like, I'm going to need to warn Mandy. I'm going to need to warn Mandy. And and then the dog got up. So I was like, it's fine. 
I'm not going to warn Mandy. She's going to be pleased when the dog doesn't die. Yeah. I had made a comment. Oh, they put a bulletproof vest on a dog. This is fantastic. But then the dog still gets shot. And I am furious, typing in all caps at this moment. Why did nobody warn me? They were supposed to warn me after the first one. And then the dog gets up and everything's fine. Yes. But uh, there was a moment where I was severely irritated. Mm-hmm. But I did. I, I made an active decision not to tell you. Because he got up. Yeah, because he got, got up. So that was okay. okay. But I was like, That's fair. oh, come on. And again, there's just there's lots of moments like that in this film. I think it goes a little bit too far sometimes. Trying to be yeah. clever and not being clever. Well, but they weren't being clever in that moment either. Like, I knew he was going to shoot the dog. Yeah, right? Like, it was so... It was set up. Like, he telegraphed it with everything he said, everything that he did. Mm. It just... It was predictable. Where would these very good dogs rate in your dogs in movies? Are these are these good dogs? Are you pleased to have seen these dogs? Do you have a favorite dog in movies? I, I nobody's ever asked me this question before. Um, my favorite dog in movies is the dog from this movie that nobody has ever heard of <laughs> called Chips the War Dog. Okay. My mom and I used to watch it a lot when I was a kid. And a couple years back, I tracked down a VHS copy for her because that was the only way I could nice. get it. Right. I think it was like on eBay or something. Um, and she can't even watch it. She doesn't have a VCR. But she has the movie if she ever gets her hands on a VCR. <laughs> Love um, it. But yeah, that's my favorite movie dog ever. Okay. I don't know about any others. You put me on the spot here, Matthew. I, I have. Okay. Be something to think about then. Okay. Okay. I did like these dogs. They Ooh. were they were very good dogs, and they were very Vapor well choice. trained, and they took care of their master. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's next? I don't know. What's next? We're going to talk about Star Trek Insurrection. We are, yes. We are have you Star heard of Star Trek? <laughs> have I heard of Star Trek? No, I'm not sure that I have. <laughs> We're almost through the Star Trek films, so we're going to continue wrapping up franchises and series. Yes. Good. Yes, Any two more Star Trek movies to go. Coming out of First Contact, any thoughts for what's coming in Insurrection? I don't actually remember what First Contact was about right this minute, so I have one. no thoughts at all. Okay. The Borg Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do remember that now. Okay. Good. <laughs> I'm guessing Insurrection is not about the Borg. Yeah. It kind of sounds like it's going to be a coup, mutiny in Star Trek, maybe, in Starfleet. Mm. Some sort of insurrection, insurrection, perhaps. Insurrection <laughs> sounds like it's coming from within, so okay. I, don't, I don't know. As opposed to outsurrections. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask people to hear about film dogs, because film dogs... There are, dogs. there are well, a lot of dogs of the, on film. There are, but all of the ones I can think of right now are the ones that make you cry. Like Old Yeller or Where Cujo. the Red Fern Grows. They make you cry. And okay. I know there are happy dogs out there. There are hmm. wonderful, happy... Ooh, The Dog and Up. That's a okay, good Okay, yeah, dog. Doug. Squirrel. Doug. Yes, Doug <laughs> is a good, good dog. Um, I would love to know more happy dogs mm. where they don't die. Marley and me. That's that looks like a happy dog. Seeing the life of a dog. I bet that hands really happily. You're mean. <laughs> You're so mean. 
one of the worst films I have ever seen is about a dog called Because of Winn-Dixie. Oh, that's on my, that was on our uh, SF pop list, but we never got around to it. Oh, it I still really haven't bad. seen it, but really I bad. want to. Yeah. And they, they named the dog Winn-Dixie. It's not because of a supermarket, but I suspect the supermarket paid a lot of money for it. Oh, I assumed the dog was named Winn-Dixie because of a Winn-Dixie in the movie. I think they find it in Winn-Dixie. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. You've made me wonder whether it's based off a book or something now. I, I have always assumed that, like... I'm trying to remember American supermarkets. Albertsons? That is one somewhere. It's not okay. in Albertsons my region. Or... Target or... Target's not a grocery store. Walmart? Walmart's also not a grocery K- store. Kmart? Kmart. As bankrupt and most of them closed. Okay, but in like 2005. Those are big box stores, though. <laughs> like Target, Walmart, and Kmart are all like big box stores. Okay. Like supermarkets would be like Kroger, Harris Teeter, Wegmans, Publix. Publix. Whole Foods. There's another one. Because of Publix. Because of Publix. <laughs> Because of Whole Foods. How about that? Because of Whole Foods was a very <laughs> posh dog. Or because of Trader Joe's. <laughs> Isn't Trader Joe's a, like, jean store? No. No? Okay. No. It's, um, are you familiar with Aldi? Mm-hmm. It is one, so it's essentially Aldi. Okay. One of the brothers in the family split off and made his own. Right. And it's called Trader, Trader Joe's. Joe. Right. Yep. Is there a denim company called Traders? Is that what I'm thinking? There's probably a something trading company, but I don't Maybe. know what it is. Um, film dogs, let us know your favorite film. Let's get this back on track. We've gone way yes. off track here, haven't we? Um, if you've seen a film with a dog in it that you like, preferably one that survives as well, although we get that you know films featuring dogs don't always survive, mm-hmm. let us know. Yes. Yes. And you can do that on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send us an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. I am, as always, Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. We are completely funded by our listeners through Patreon. You get access to exclusive content, you get early shows, you get bonus shows, you get physical merch sent out, you get access to our Discord server where you can come and chat to us, find out what's coming up. We often ask for suggestions and comments on things that are coming out. Um, And you get the pride and happiness that comes with helping support the network and develop new shows. You can find out lots of information, you can access all of these um, and everything and find out all the stuff and information by visiting patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Star Trek Insurrection. Until then, I'm Manny Kay. And don't worry about me, I just gotta catch my breath. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.com.